heard in our first lesson today a summary of what has been happening in the Gospel of Mark since the first of the year. We've been hearing all these stories, and do you know what? We're still in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, fortunately for us, there's only 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. But let me just tell you what we've been up to. In a few short weeks, Jesus has been baptized, spent 40 days tested in the wilderness, given his first sermon proclaiming the realm of God has come near, called his first disciples, and healed a man possessed by a demon. This was last week's story. In this story, Jesus began his public ministry by directly confronting an unclean spirit, establishing himself as the Holy One of God, a healer, a liberator, a prophet, opposed to the world's death-dealing dynamics. Phew. Just one chapter. But continuing chapter one, the stories keep coming. What precedes our reading today is that Jesus and his followers leave the synagogue where he had been teaching and where he cast out the man with the unclean, the demon of the man with the unclean spirit. And they go to the Simon Peter's home where Peter's mother-in-law is sick, so sick that she cannot get out of bed. <coughs> Jesus heals her with a touch. We might remember that sometimes healing comes with a gentle, tender touch. Jesus heals her with a touch, and she gets up and serves her guests. That would have been her role as the head of the household, the woman of the household, to serve the guests. Much has been made of that passage, Peter's mother-in-law, who, by the way, we're like most women in the scriptures, goes unnamed. But yet she is considered, by most biblical scholars, the first servant leader in in the New Testament. Diakonos, which is the Greek for deacon, servant leadership. What followed then is that on that same evening, the word had gotten around about Jesus healing people and casting out demons, and people came in droves. Am I on my mic now? Oh. <laughs> my People come in droves and bring their loved ones who are demon-possessed, asking for Jesus' healing touch, Jesus' healing. Jesus, the scripture tells us, cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Yeah, yeah. This introduces one of the main themes of the Gospel of Mark, what's called the Messianic Secret. And the Messianic Secret is important. It runs throughout the Gospel of Mark. And you know, the truth is, biblical scholars and theologians have debated this for years and still don't really understand what the writer of the Gospel of Mark was trying to do or what Jesus was trying to do by um, claiming that people are not to tell about him, right? So Jesus insisted to demons and disciples alike his true identity was not yet to be disclosed. This secrecy is part of the striking vision of Messiahship. Matthew Bolton Breyer, a theologian and biblical scholar, says 
the anointed one will not come in dominant conspicuous form but in a humble hidden form a suffering servant ultimately revealed as Messiah through his death and resurrection and subsequent community the church the body of Christ will carry on that ministry and now we come to today's I know I've been talking a lot already but now we come to today's reading and I know what you're thinking you're thinking okay I thought that our sermon series right now is about questions I don't hear a question in this story and the title of the sermon isn't even a question it's a statement everyone is searching for you stay with me here the question is not as explicit as in our past readings that had an actual question in the text. Rather, the questions are implicit. After doing all the healing and casting out of demons, Jesus awakens early and early in the morning, goes by himself. And the disciples, nor any of those seeking healing, could find him. The scripture says he went to a deserted place, sort of mimicking the story of his time in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, you can imagine that people were clamoring for him. After all, he healed people. They needed him. The questions implied in the statement are, everybody's been searching for you. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Where were you when we needed you? Well, that's the implicit questions. At this point, some of you may be wondering, all this talk about miracle healing and demon possession, what do they have to do with us today? After all, we might be seeing parallels, right? Between then and now. Because you and I both know we're living in a broken world. War and violence rage, and rage possesses so many of us in this world, and heartache and disappointment and depression and sorrow inhabits our hearts. It has become almost a plague of depression, dysthymia, of loneliness, as we have dealt with the aftermath of a COVID and now with these wars and rumors of wars and the hatred that is going on in our country. <clears throat> but aren't those implicit questions raised by the disciples? Admonishment, everybody's been searching for you. Our questions too. In our world of chaos and of our lives that sometimes feel like they are falling apart, we find ourselves fearful, empty, heartbroken, disappointed, filled with self-hate. When it feels as if the struggles of this life, the shadows that have taken possession of us like demons will never be cast out and we will never be whole again, <coughs> we may well find ourselves shouting at God, everybody's searching for you. I've been searching for you. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Where are you when I need you? Well, I don't know that I have any good answers for these existential questions. In fact, I know I don't. 
What I can say is that we can look to Jesus and our ancient scriptures in order to go forward. In need of some restoration himself, Jesus retreats into the wilderness to pray an action pointing to the renewing powers of the ancient cycle of work and rest, engagement and retreat, action and contemplation, and the need for all of us who want a better life and a better world to seek out regular intentional practices of restoration. As hard as it is, that's the model Jesus gives to us. But here's the other good news here. In our scriptures, from the opening words of Genesis to the concluding words of the revelation of John, when we start with Genesis, we read that in the beginning the earth was complete chaos and darkness covered the face of the deep, and that is where God is at God's best. God creates out of chaos. And if that's the case, we've got a lot to look forward to. Right? Otis Moss III, the great preacher of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, has said that when you take on the confusion and the violence and you refine them, purify them into something new, you are doing what in the vocabulary of faith we call consecrating your chaos. To concentrate, consecrate, is to make holy and to put it into service for good. And if that's not enough, the psalm reading for today talks about the magnificence of God and reminds us, reminds us that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them names. And God gives to them names just like God has given to you and me, a name that God knows, even as we are born. Our siblings in faith, African-American people who were enslaved, had to wait a long time on God to show up. And while they waited, they took their tribal religions and found in their newly imposed religion, Christianity, some similarities. And they wove them together. And in the arbors, in the, amongst the trees and the brushes, they they formed brush arbors, and they hung up quilts so that they couldn't be heard as well. And there they sang, and they prayed, and they praised God, and their songs were filled with hope and tomorrow and the promises that God would be, bring to them to deliver them. In the midst of all their suffering, they witnessed to the glory of God. Waiting on God for anything can be hard. It can make us feel tired and uncertain and even frustrated and angry with God. These feelings while we are waiting can make it hard to want to worship God. And yet throughout our sacred scriptures, throughout the example of Jesus Christ, we are called to life and faith. We are called to do both of those things, wait and worship. Wait and pray. Wait and praise. We are reminded that God is the one who made and cares for everything in the whole of creation, including us, you and me. Remembering that God treasures us can help us build strength 
and patience to trust God's love for us, even in difficult times in which we have to wait. The assigned Hebrew scripture for today is from Isaiah 40. You probably know most of it and could probably join me in saying some of it by, by, you know, by heart. The prophet says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Our God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have you not heard? Do you not know that our God is an everlasting God? And this, my friends, is heavenly revolution. Amen.